Give us one hour and we'll help you change the way you think about happiness. Harvesting happiness with Lisa Cypress Kamen is fresh, optimistic, and purpose-driven talk radio that promotes happiness from the inside out. Each week, Lisa spotlights trendsetters and change agents who offer sound emotional fitness tips for improving mental muscle tone and greater well-being. Guest experts include a diverse and proactive collection of the greatest thinkers and doers who are devoting their lives to creating a better world in which to live. Your host, Lisa Cypress Kamen, is a widely recognized applied positive psychology coach, author, documentary filmmaker, and lecturer specializing in the fields of sustainable happiness, mindfulness, and positive lifestyle management. Let's get to it. Here's Lisa. All righty then, let's get to it. Today we're talking about our finances, financial fitness, and my first guest is Danielle Town, and she is the co-author of Invested, How Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger Taught Me to Master My Mind, My Emotions, and My Money with a little help from my dad. Danielle Town is a corporate attorney with degrees in religion from Wellesley and Oxford and law from NYU and the University of Colorado. After pushing her dad, Phil Town, to collaborate with her on their podcast, Invest Ed, the rule number one podcast, so she could learn about investing in an interactive way alongside fans. She feels the fog has been cleared and she can make her own financial and investing decisions. Talking about investing with her dad empowered her to invest on her own, clearing the way for her to live a happier, richer life. And I'm so excited to talk with you this morning, Danielle, because we know that there is a complete relationship between money and happiness, but not in the ways that many people think. I agree. Thank you for having me, Lisa. I couldn't agree more that there's a relationship between money and happiness, but people often think about it negatively. People often think, oh, you know, money can't buy happiness. Like money and happiness are completely separate and happiness should have nothing to do with material things. Now, I agree with that in theory, but in practice, what money can buy assists us in getting to happiness. It can make life a lot easier. It can literally give us choices in our lives. What would make a lot of us happier is to simply have a choice of what kind of job to choose, or maybe to work a little bit less, maybe to work part-time, maybe to have reliable childcare for your kids, maybe to make sure that you don't wake up at night worrying about the bills or the student loans or the mortgage. Those things feel a lot like happiness to me. And money buys those things. So I don't think it's a connection that we should ignore. I don't, I don't either. And, and the research really um, bears that out, you know, that there is a certain number that in America that um, is believed to afford people some, their, all of their basic needs and some opportunity um, for investment and, and saving for the future. And I think that that's really what we're talking about, that um, money buys us opportunity. It doesn't buy us the, the sort of inner peace and happiness that comes from connection and these good, intimate relationships that we make in our lives, but it does provide us a strategy for opportunity, which in turn supports that happiness. Exactly. I couldn't agree more. I love the way you say it buys us opportunity because I see it a lot like health. Same as with health, when you have it, you don't notice it, but when you don't have your health, that takes over your entire life. Same with money. When you have it, you don't even notice it. It's just you move on to the other stuff that's really going to make you happy. But when you don't have it, it takes over your life and your thoughts and your focus, and it's all you can deal with. So we just want to remove that impediment to happiness so that we can move on to the real stuff. So talk a little bit about your resistance to investing for so long, because you uh, were off on a different career path early on in your life, um, and you resisted this. And, and then with direct access to your dad, who is quite a guru in this field, you, you kind of um, softened. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if anybody should have known about investing and about what to do with your money, it should have been me, right? Like I had this dad who um, has written two books about investing, who talked to me about it when I was a kid, and I avoided it completely. So there are a couple of reasons for that. One, 
I just was generally terrible with numbers. I still am, honestly, and it doesn't come easily to me. So the stuff he, and his language is numbers, by the way. So he would tell me constantly all this information using numbers and spreadsheets and financial statements, and it just made my eyes glaze over and still does. (laughs) Secondly, I was just afraid of losing money in the market. I mean, the market seems to be this sort of behemoth that moves up and down irrationally and without any sort of connection to anything that I could figure out. And I lived through two recessions. I graduated from college in the first one. I graduated from college in the second one. And I went through the dot-com boom. Like This market just seems kind of nuts to me. So I was really afraid of getting into it at all when I didn't understand it. So that was the first step that really got me into this investing thing was learning how to understand the market as somebody who's not great with numbers and finding a way that worked for me. And then the last thing that really kept me from doing it, which I didn't even truthfully understand until I got into it, was that I had all these old emotions around money, all this old crap that I really hadn't dealt with at all. And it specifically dealt with my dad. And I didn't understand that until we had been working together on investing stuff for maybe six months or so. And I still just couldn't see myself as an investor. And I really just probed deep and tried to figure out why that was. And I realized it was because I didn't really trust him, which is insane because he is a very well-respected investor in the community, as you as you mentioned. And so I realized it went back finally to when I was a kid, to my parents' divorce and what happened with the money in that whole process, which was that the money left. The money left with my dad. He came back, and we now have a really good relationship, but that old wound, those old scars from when I was a kid hadn't gone away. And I think so many of us go through that stuff, and it's so painful that we choose not to think about it, often unconsciously. And it's it's keeping us from that financial freedom that is so important to our happiness. So I hope that we will start to talk about it more. I think you bring up something that is so important that many of us have money trauma because it goes back to sort of a a childhood wound, which taps back into that whole security thing, you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right, of having Mm -hmm. security and safety. And it's interesting that your book, the book we're talking about today, Invested, um, really addresses some of this idea of kind of getting over it and moving beyond so anybody can successfully learn to invest their money, but and yet confronting why we are so afraid of it. Exactly. We had to get into it in this book. It's not like any other investing book that I know about because it can, like, by the end of the book, you will know how to invest on your own. And that's wonderful. But to me, Really, the point of this book is the story of my dad and I, the story that I went through of the emotional journey from knowing nothing about investing to getting into it, to finding a way to be interested, to dealing with all this emotional stuff. I mean, money to us, it's a really fascinating thing because it's so connected to our worth and our value literally to other people in terms of how much do we actually get paid How much can we actually give to our children, to our parents, to charities, to our church or our synagogue? How much are we dependent on somebody else? I mean, this involves so many different kinds of relationships that we have, including romantic relationships between a husband and a wife. Money is often said to be the number one cause of divorce. So money and emotions around it are very difficult, and yet it's so painful that we often don't even delve into it. So I think a beautiful thing about this investing practice that I've been going through, which is how I see it, I see it as a practice, as a journey, and the journey and the process and the experience to me is more important than the goal. And the goal is, you know, a nice side effect, like it's I need to have money and that's a really good thing. But the beautiful part has been going through all this emotional stuff, becoming free from those old wounds, from that old trauma, and seeing how learning about investing has opened up this whole world to me 
of seeing companies around me and the value that they provide and realizing that my money can actually help them and support them and be useful to other people. It's a rather extraordinary, extraordinary process. You know, you, I think you said something that is very interesting um, that people, people often overlook, that when we make decisions to invest, um, sometimes we're told, oh, we should invest in this or that because it's going to go big. And we, and we often overlook the things that resonate for us personally, the products that we use, mm-hmm. the initiatives that we're interested in. You know, do we, uh, are, we, are we really focusing on um, alternative energy sources? Do we want to be involved with artificial intelligence? Are we interested in space travel? And when we begin to look at it from that creative perspective, it can shift not only our interests but our results. It changes everything. And what drives me crazy is when people act and talk as though investing in those kinds of things that you just mentioned, investing in really wonderful, worthy goals, companies that are out to change the world that we want to support, that in order to do that, you actually have to take a hit to your returns. I don't agree with that at all. I think that from a consciously capitalist perspective, we can choose wonderful companies that are doing wonderful things in the world that are going to grow because of that, not in spite of that. I agree. We're going to need to take a break. And when we come back, we will carry on the conversation with my guest today, Danielle Town. We're talking about her book, Invested, How Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger Taught Me to Master My Mind my emotions, and my money with a little help from my dad, and that dad is the well-known Phil Town. To learn more about Danielle's work, please visit DanielleTown.com. On Twitter, she is at Danielle underscore Town, and on Facebook, she can be found at Danielle Town Invested. Here comes the break. We'll be right back, and that is a promise. Wait, wait, wait. Before we go to the break, I want to talk with you about the joys of healthy eating. One of my go-to happy snacks is created by today's show sponsor, RX Bar. RX Bars contain whole food protein ingredients that do all the talking. It's simple, like eating three eggs, two dates, and six almonds. This is all goodness and no BS. RX Bars come in 11 delicious, sweet, and savory flavor varieties. There's no added sugar, artificial flavors, preservatives, or fillers. This means delicious, clean, and nutritious fuel in every bite. Listeners of Harvesting Happiness will receive 25% off your first order. Visit rxbar.com slash harvestinghappiness and be sure to enter the promo code HARVESTING at checkout. Once again, that's rxbar.com slash harvestinghappiness and don't forget to use the promo code HARVESTING. Now here comes the break. We'll be right back and that is a promise. We know that life can be tough and that happiness can and does live alongside adversity. Connect with us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and follow Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen for a daily dose of inspiration. We'll be right back after this quick break. Do you find yourself saying things like, I'll be happy when, or I'll be happy if... Does the finish line for happiness keep moving? Does the bar keep getting higher? What's getting in the way of your happiness right now? Too much going on? Working too much? Not working enough? Having too many responsibilities? Not having enough money, enough time, enough space? The list goes on and on. It becomes difficult to see all that we have if we focus on scarcity. One thing I know for certain, happiness waits for no one. And sometimes we all need support. Are We Happy Yet? is not another self-help book. It's a guidebook for learning how to harvest happiness through self-mastery, which is the key ingredient into building resilience, hardiness, grit, and emotional stability. Are We Happy Yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life is available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, IndieBound, and HarvestingHappiness.com. Each day we get to choose how we are going to show up for life. And at times we need tips for strengthening our well-being. Learn training strategies for greater emotional fitness and improved mental muscle tone at HarvestingHappiness.com. 
Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, we are talking about financial fitness with my guest today, Danielle Town. Her book is Invested, How Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger Taught Me to Master My Mind, My Emotions, and My Money with a little help from my dad. And Danielle's dad is Phil Town. So, Danielle, prior to the break, we were talking about, you know, healing wounds around money. But I want to sort of redirect the conversation to teaching millennials about investing because oftentimes um, the millennials are coming from an experience that is very different than their parents and their grandparents. I agree. I mean, so many of my friends just have no interest in anything to do with what I call the financial industrial complex because it just seems like this (laughs) Death Star-ish kind of uh, terrible behemoth that we want nothing to do with. And on, on top of that, the idea of retirement really isn't all that interesting to us. I mean, I personally want to have a really good life right now. I don't really yeah. want to kill myself now in order for me to be able to be on the golf course in 50 years. So I'm interested in what I can do now. And I don't think that the financial industry is meeting that need at all. And because of that, we just don't know anything about financial stuff. I mean, when I started this whole thing, one of my good friends came into my office, shut the door, and very quietly, and this is somebody who I would think would know about a lot of business stuff, um, and he said to me, Danielle, I just don't know, and he said it quietly like this, like it it was a secret, I just don't know what to do with money. Can you tell me what to do with my money? Because I have all these people telling me, and I don't know who to believe. And I Mm. thought, oh my gosh, if this person doesn't even know then none of us know. And it's, and it's like a terrible thing to say that out loud because we feel like we should know. So there's so much shame around not knowing stuff about money and about the markets and about financial stuff that we just don't ask. And we go ahead and pay the fees that the financial industrial complex demands of us which is bad for us in the future. So I have found investing, the practice of investing right now, today, to be such a good addition to my life in a way I never expected. I was shocked that I enjoyed this at all. And the benefit of it is that I'll make money down the line, but the real benefit is what it's giving me every day now. And I think for millennials, that's what we need to hear about. How is it going to help us right now. Well, it's interesting. You talk about the, the sort of the millennial um, thought process. You know, I have two kids. I have millennials, and um, they look at the financial fitness of their parents and their grandparents, and, and there's a lot of fear, right, because the grandparents saved every dime they ever made for retirement. Many lost a good portion of that retirement in the most recent recession. Then they see their parents who adopted a little bit of a different investment strategy, put it all in real estate. And when, when the market went south, the, the, the loss of stability and finances, um, happened. And then here they are beginning their financial lives and their investment careers. And they're opting, believe it or not, I gifted my kids, um, stockpile for the holidays. And these kids have really taken off with investing. I mean, they're putting little bits of money, $25 here, $50 there, but they're investing in what they like, which is very cool. God, that's awesome. That's so cool. And that's exactly what we should be doing. That's so smart because you're right. We saw our grandparents lose their money. Then we saw our parents lose lose their money. And what it taught me is don't trust any of this stuff. And from there, I just did nothing. I mean, my plan was to just save my money under my mattress. And it wasn't until my dad told me about inflation. By the way, if you don't know, I mean, we all know about inflation, right? So I'm going to say something that a lot of people don't want to say because <laughs> they're afraid of sounding dumb, but I don't care. So I'll just say it. So inflation, it turns out, and I didn't know this, makes the value of our savings go down every year at the rate of inflation, without us doing anything at all. So what that means is that my money is losing its value without me doing anything wrong, which blows my mind. How can that be? But it is. 
And so what that means is that in order to simply stay even, not even to make money, but just to stay even and keep the buying power of my money, I have to do investing. And I have to make, uh, inflation is an average of 3% per year, roughly. So I have to make 3% wow. per year just to stay even. That blows me away. Nobody ever told me that. My dad claims that he did, but I will tell you right now, he did not tell me that until a couple <laughs> of years ago when we first started this whole journey. So once I found that out and I realized I had to do something, then I had to get interested and I realized that I really needed to spend a little time learning because I don't trust all these other people for all the reasons you just pointed out. It takes me a little bit of time, a little bit of effort, and some frankly, enjoyable learning to understand the basics of the financial markets and of how to choose a company. And now that I have that knowledge, nobody can take it away from me. And I now know how to evaluate companies and funds so that I can deploy my money responsibly in the future. So I think that's how we have to handle this. I think we have to take the power back and take the responsibility for our money, putting our money into wonderful companies that we support and do it ourselves. I, I agree. And it's funny you talk about the hiding the money under the mattress thing. Well, that goes back to our great-grandparents, my great-grandparents mentality. You know, like you put your pennies under the mattress and save them for a rainy day. And what you're really yeah. um, advocating for is to get passionate about products, to get passionate about companies, do your research, investigate, start small maybe, be willing to risk the loss if you're starting uh, with a small amount of money, there will be some there will be some disappointments. That's just the way it goes, right? But you learn that way. There may be. I mean, my dad's rule from Warren Buffett, Warren Buffett says rule number one is don't lose money, and rule number two is don't forget rule number one. So I work out my whole life also, and I've always kind of been like, all right, like I roll on that one. Like, yeah, don't lose money. But what he means by that is you don't deploy money until you are so confident about that company that you're willing to put your hard-earned money into it to support it. So, yes, like, of course, there are always things that could happen that we can't predict that might cause the stock market to crash. But if we've done our work and if we've chosen a wonderful company with great values, it's, that company is going to come bouncing back. Now, it might take a little bit of time, but that money is going to come back. And the, the losses until you sell are only paper losses. They don't actually yeah. count. So as long as you're holding it and as long as you're confident in that company – you're going to be okay. I think you brought up a very, very good point, is the paper losses scare people. They bail. They, 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 they mm. sell too quickly. And then they really are sitting with a real loss. So the, the investment for the long term, being willing to ride it out and know that their cycles are really important um, in an investment strategy. That's so true. And what makes people bail when they're seeing those paper losses? And by the way, what paper losses means is just that the price has gone down on something you own. When people see that, we panic. I mean, it's terrifying. Yes. Of course we do. This is a completely natural response. I don't mean to say that it's unexpected. It's expected. And so part of my investing practice has been actually practicing that kind of emotion because I know I'm going to feel it. And I actually went, I was so afraid of just buying, buying a share, buying a company that I went and practiced that. I bought a small amount of a company and went through this massive emo emotional roller coaster of First of all, I bought it at the wrong time. The market wasn't even open. Then it opened. I bought the shares. Then I watched the pennies tick up and down and was freaking out about whether or not I had bought it at the right time. And then I like didn't know what to do about the company. So I was looking up information. And then I suddenly realized that I knew nothing about this company. I should have never bought into it. And then I was like, no, I'm amazing at this. It's going to be fine. I mean, every possible emotion around this small thing of buying a company, except that it's not a small thing at all, because this is my money, and this is my future. And so yeah. practicing that is so important when we're at some point here going to go through a market crash and going to go through another recession. So we've got to be ready as investors to handle that stuff 
emotionally. And that's the practice. Well, I, I love that you come back to that word practice because I think um, to build the emotional hardiness to learn how to withstand the highs and lows of not only our lives, but certainly our, our, our financial health is, is extremely important. I know that this is the life lesson that I had been taught as coming through this past recession. And my kids learned by proxy. You know, they went from having an extremely abundant life to suddenly there was a real crisis in our family, real fiscal crisis. Yeah, it's so true for Everybody. I mean, I think we all were touched in some way by that recession. And it came as a shock to us. It came because of the financial people doing something that most of us knew nothing about. And even people in their industry had no clue that they were doing. So that could happen again. And the way that we handle that emotionally and by buying great companies that we're going to stick with, that's what's going to get us through. Well, the book is a great read. It's a lot of fun. Um, invested, how Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger taught me to master my mind, my emotions, and my money with a little help from my dad. I've been speaking with my wonderful guest today, Danielle Town, who co-wrote this book with her dad, Phil Town. They've got a podcast that I want to give a great shout out to. Um, Danielle, how and where can people access the podcast? It's called Invested, the rule number one podcast. It's everywhere you get podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, or you can go to investedpodcast.com and play it right from there. And you can find out more about the book Invested um, on danielletown.com. And uh, it's on Amazon. It's in your local independent bookstores. We're a New York Times bestseller and an indie bookstore bestseller. This week, so that's really exciting. Really exciting. And to connect with Danielle, you can do so on Twitter at Danielle underscore town. And on Facebook, your page is Danielle Town Invested. You have been a delight. You you have approached this uh, with such a fresh perspective and a lighthearted, really caring perspective. And I want to say for those of us out there who are financially phobic about investment, um, get this book because you might, you might might change your mind and rock your world and get you interested in investing in a a little bit different way, in a more mindful way. Yeah, I think it's going to change a lot of minds, and I think we need it. We are the people who are going to change this market and change our lives. So thank you very much, Lisa. Oh, thank you, Danielle Town. Here comes the break. We'll be right back. Nothing gives happiness like a free gift. Unwrap your present by signing up for Happiness Headlines, our monthly e-zine at HarvestingHappiness.com. Stay tuned for more after the break. One thing I know for certain, happiness waits for no one, and sometimes we all need support. We all have the freedom to be happy or the liberty to be miserable each day, regardless of external circumstance. Sure, things will inevitably happen in our lives that are out of our control. There is only ever one thing that is totally within our control, ourselves. When we have command of ourselves, we are better prepared to handle life and bounce back more quickly when challenges arise. Whether you see the glass as half empty or half full, the glass has the capacity to hold more. You have the capacity to be happier. The tool to harvesting your happiness is within your grasp. Are we happy yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life is available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, IndieBound, and HarvestingHappiness.com. Each day we get to choose how we are going to show up for life, and at times we need tips for strengthening our well-being. Learn training strategies for greater emotional fitness and improved mental muscle tone at HarvestingHappiness.com. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, I urge you to download and share this podcast. Why? Because sharing is caring. It's kind, free, legal, and we're talking about your money. We're talking about 
financial, fitness, money management, and investment strategies for a secure retirement. We're talking with Julie Jason, who started out on Wall Street as an attorney developing her views on financial services in the trenches. 25 years ago, Jason founded her own investment counsel firm, Jackson Grant Investment Advisor, Inc. of Stanford, Connecticut, a fiduciary boutique where her team manages personal portfolios for high net worth families. Through her award-winning weekly investor education column syndicated by King Features, Jason troubleshoots financial problems for a broad audience of readers of every financial means. Today, we're talking about her latest book, Retire Securely, Insights on Money Management from an Award-Winning Financial Columnist. Welcome, Julie. Thanks for joining us on the show. Well, thank you, Lisa. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, we know that that money buys a certain amount of happiness. It's not the totality of our joy, but financial <laughs> security, having our needs met, certainly is joyful and happy. All right, I can. I, I guess I can agree with that. <laughs> yeah. For, from my from my perspective, joyful and happy does lead to security. So I'm all about security. And you're right, you know, joyful and happy in security, they all go together. They do. And we talk about, you know, going back to Maslow's hierarchy of needs, certainly having a secure base. And that does include a certain amount of financial security makes us feel feel good. Let's talk about retirement. And, and, and it's a scary subject for many, especially because we're coming out of this nearly 10-year cycle from the recession where a lot of people are building back their wealth or building back their savings. Well, you know, let, let me... Let me interject there for um, for a moment. Um, the people who left investing uh, at the bottom of the market um, are the ones who really suffered. Um, and I remember, I don't know if you watched uh, 60 Minutes ever, but there was a great program, and it's still on. You can still find it if you Google it, but there's a 60-minute program on um, how people were losing all their retirement savings in their 401k plans, and that program aired one month after the bottom was reached in March of 2009. And so the, the big deal about that is that y- you really have to ignore some of, the, some of that fear, scary subject sort of thing and focus on yourself. And I think that's the big message that I want to bring to people, and that is that achieving retirement security and achieving joyfulness and happiness, as, as you said, it comes from knowing yourself, knowing what your needs are, knowing how much you need today to spend, how much you need to create an income to cover those expenses. And with that information, then that gives you, that gives you a stable base to do some planning. But it's all about you in retirement. It's nothing to do with financial products. It's nothing to do with the financial markets. It's nothing to do with anybody else. It's just about you. Well, and I think helping people to identify their their dreams, their goals, and where they see themselves in their air-quoted golden years is important. I think this is what financial advisors can help people suss out. Yes. However, so I come, I come from the Wall Street environment, uh, and for the last 25 years, I've been running a, a firm that is focused on high net worth individuals. And the thing is, it, it, if you were to tell me, go to a financial advisor and figure out what your goals are that way, that's not going to work. It's the other way around, that spending some time thinking uh, about your own financial goals and then go to a financial advisor to implement them is really, is really the right way to go. And, and it's, not the, it's not that hard, but it does involve numbers. And there's a very simple technique that everyone can use to get started. And that is, so, so just think about, what retirement might look like. And so it's Tuesday today. If you thought about retiring this coming Monday, how would you do that? How would it work? So where would, what would you be spending and where would your income be coming from? So that little exercise helps you really focus on the reality of retirement, that you're in charge of those decisions. You're in charge of what you will spend, how you will spend it, and you're in charge of where the money is coming from. So it's kind of like running your own business. And it helps, I think, to think of retirement as a business. And if somebody's married 
it helps to think of retirement as a joint venture between spouses because that helps with decision making. I hear I hear what you're saying, and this is in an ideal scenario where people could say, "Okay, I, I mean, today is Tuesday. At the end of the week, I'm I'm out of here, and I'm going to retire." But for many people, um, th- they are still rebuilding after you know what has happened in the last decade. So, how would you um, advise or guide somebody who looks at retirement and is biting their nails, going, "Oh my God, I don't know that I ever can." Okay, so that when uh, well, well, let me back up a minute. That the that person who is in that state definitely needs to face it. In other words, you you, you can't ignore it. And then how? Let's say let's say you were closer to me, and I'm in Connecticut, and you're in Texas, right? Or LA? Or no, where, where are you? We are on the West Coast. We are California. Our 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 proud California. stations okay. in Texas. <laughs> okay, so you are far away from me. If you were closer, I would get together with you, and we would sit down and talk it through. And um, basically, what we would be talking about is what what does your current lifestyle look like? What do you want it to look like in the future? And what are your what are your assets? What needs to be rebuilt? So I'm, you know, I'm I'm, uh, uh, I'm talking about every person who's in that in that position. So. You, that's the starting point, and then you build from there. And no matter where, no matter who that person is, there is always room for improvement, and that's what you're looking for. So it's a, it's a, it's it's an optimistic view uh, where you can identify different steps that can be taken today to build a future, and it and it is a very optimistic exercise. It's not, um, it actually is not that difficult. Meaning there are things, there there are uh, steps to take and things to do that get you to that outcome. Um, Talk a little bit about that. We're going to need to take a break in a minute, but just give us the basics. You know, people are now, you know, they're on the rise. They're they're, they're uh, beginning to be on secure financial footing again. And I'm talking about people who lost their homes. And and I am one of them. I lost three homes during the recession. So the rebuilding Mm -hmm. process has taken quite a bit of time. And there are many people in my position who are in their 50s where they look at the future and they go, oh, no, I will not be, you know, on that sailboat in the Mediterranean when I'm 65. It's not going to be possible. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let me, let, me, um, let me start with some very, very important basics. So getting back to the finances of the household, that's the starting point. So what, what is being spent today? And where is the income coming from? So let's posture a situation where there's, take the worst possible situation where there are no retirement savings and maybe some debt. So the first thing that one has to do is look at resources. One of the best resources to look at is if someone is working for a company that offers a 401k plan and it has a match, that's the ideal situation. And one of the things that stops people from participating in a 401k is that they feel that their paycheck cannot be reduced. They can't afford to reduce their paycheck. But there is a method of looking at your withholding that can help solve that problem. It's a one-by-one situation, but withholding is the key, tax withholding. So, and I do have, I do have material in the, in the book on how to do that, how to look, how to not reduce your paycheck, but still participate in the 401k. So that's, that's number one. You have to optimize what is available to you. 401k is great. 403b, other retirement plans offered through work. But let's say somebody doesn't have a retirement plan at work and they're on their own. So if they are, if they're working on, on their own, let's say they have a 1099 income, then they can set up their own retirement plan. Let's say they don't do that. Let's say they work for somebody with no retirement plan. Then starting investing in even a small way in the right investments is the only way to make enough money for retirement. Julie, we're going to jump off for a break. And when we come back, we'll carry on the conversation with Julie Jason. We're talking about her new book, Retire Securely, Insights on Money Management from an award-winning financial columnist. To learn more and to connect with Julie, please go to www.juliejason.com. On Twitter, she's at RetireSecureNow. And you can email her. She loves emails to readers at juliejason.com. Here comes the break. We'll be right back. And that is a promise. Who says money can't buy happiness? 
Check out Lisa's new book, Are We Happy Yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life, and other fun, fashionable, and inspiring items at shophappyatharvestinghappiness.com. We'll be right back after this quick break. Do you find yourself saying things like, I'll be happy when, or I'll be happy if... Does the finish line for happiness keep moving? Does the bar keep getting higher? What's getting in the way of your happiness right now? Too much going on? Working too much? Not working enough? Having too many responsibilities? Not having enough money, enough time, enough space? The list goes on and on. It becomes difficult to see all that we have if we focus on scarcity. One thing I know for certain, happiness waits for no one. And sometimes we all need support. Are We Happy Yet? is not another self-help book. It's a guidebook for learning how to harvest happiness through self-mastery, which is the key ingredient into building resilience, hardiness, grit, and emotional stability. Are We Happy Yet? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life is available at Barnes & Noble, Amazon, IndieBound, and HarvestingHappiness.com. Each day we get to choose how we are going to show up for life. And at times we need tips for strengthening our well-being. Learn training strategies for greater emotional fitness and improved mental muscle tone at HarvestingHappiness.com. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, we're talking with Julie Jason about her new book, Retire Securely, Insights on Money Management from an Award-Winning Financial Columnist. Julie, prior to the break, you were talking about utilizing one's company's 401k and um, also creating uh, one's own retirement fund if um, they're working for themselves or a 1099 um, consultant. Talk about other ways that one can strategize for financial security now and into retirement, including estate planning, um, giving and gifting of any resources. Sure. Uh, so, on that last point, on giving and gifting, now you have now you're talking about someone who is who has wealth and wants to share that wealth. So there are a number of ways, of course, to do that. And there are things called donor advised funds that make things a lot easier. There are organizations that provide a means to donate money through a through a fund rather than trying to find the organization yourself. But now we're talking about the other side of the equation than the one that we talked about before the break, and that is the wealthy person. What does a wealthy individual do uh, with with his wealth uh, when he's approaching retirement or in retirement? And there's something that's very major that changes when someone is 30, 40, or 50 uh, versus when they are retired. It doesn't matter how much wealth you have or lack of wealth you have. In the beginning years, you're investing for the goal of appreciating capital appreciation, so growing your assets. And that's a, that's a very direct and simple and straightforward goal. So people buy individual stocks or they buy, um, as you said before, real estate or, or they buy um, mutual funds or ETFs for capital appreciation. And pretty straightforward, it can be either, either market-related market-linked, like an S&P index fund, for example, or it can be something that is diversified, managed, or there are multiple um, investment choices. But now, at retirement and after retirement, now that's not enough because you have to now create some means of paying for those bills. So imagine if you have a a basket of stocks and you need to pay bills, unless they are dividend-paying stocks, you're going to have to sell something to pay a bill. That is not the opportune way to manage a retirement portfolio. So there has to be a thinking process that changes. There's a a transitional phase that one has to go through to say, wait a second, now my goals have to switch from creating capital appreciation to creating income plus capital appreciation. That's a major switch, and that's the point in life where you're at the most risk of making a mistake. And that's the point where you could get bad advice, either from a friend or a colleague, or from, uh, or from a, um, or from a financial advisor, or a lawyer, or an accountant. 
that's the critical time when you really have to be studying and knowing and understanding what to do. Um, and then keeping in mind that people are living much longer into their 80s and 90s and even beyond that, you have to think in terms of retirement that lasts 20, 30, or even 40 years. That's a long period of time to plan for. So the sooner that someone starts to plan for that, the better off there will be. And there are many things that are ways to leverage that time. And leverage is an important an important thing. So and I discuss leverage in, in in my writing and basically you can leverage by when you buy a house you're you're leveraging your dollars by getting a loan to buy the house. Um, but in the in the in the stock market you can also leverage by through margin, et cetera. But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about about leveraging your time. So one of the biggest biggest uh, complaints or, or regrets that people have when interviewed at retirement is that they didn't start early enough. They didn't start saving early enough and they didn't start investing early enough. And the problem is you can't make up that time. You cannot go back and redo your, your working career. So if you think in those terms and plan ahead instead of regret after you get there, you can have huge leverage. And by leverage, I mean something that propels your investments rather than decreases them. Um, now, how does one learn about that? And so, so the way I learned is, is by being on Wall Street and by my first job, I was writing prospectuses. And you can imagine how much fun that was because people hate reading <laughs> prospectuses. Um, but I learned a lot about investing by talking to the money managers who I was writing about. And I also made it my business to do research on my own and then, and then my work took me into into those into those areas of of, an, of how to invest, what the markets look like, what the, how they work, and then I, my firm and I do research of our own on markets, et cetera. You have to have a base. You have to have a sense of understanding before you can make good decisions. But my my message to 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 everyone is that it's worth the effort to study at least enough to know where you can make a mistake and stay away from those areas. And I'll give you, I'll give you one, one, uh, one uh, example of a mistake that you don't want to make. So this is someone who wrote to me um, at, into my column. And by the way, I very much encourage people to write to me because that's what makes my column uh, re- uh, approachable and readable by people. So write to me if you have a, a concern, a question of any sort that I can answer in the column. And so he, this individual was um, a manager at a, at a plant that was being closed down. And when the plant was closed down, he went to someone who advised him to invest in, take all his money and invest in one, one type of investment. So right there, you've got a problem. Why would you ever buy just one type of investment? You'd have to really be convinced that that investment is the one. And it's all his money. Well, of course, he did not fully understand that investment and uh, and found himself wanting to get out of it and had difficulty getting out of it. The point is that when you are 65 and retiring or whatever age you retire at, you don't want to be learning then. It's too late then. You have to be learning when you're young. And learning how to invest is experiential. You're going to make mistakes. So you want to make those mistakes when you're when the stakes are lower. You don't want to make those mistakes when you're at the point and you're on the verge of retiring and you have every single dime that you've ever saved that you need for the rest of your life and now you're going to start experimenting. Too late. So I very much encourage everyone to give investing some thought and some time and there are tools available, um, many, many tools. Uh, for example, uh, the major uh, mutual fund companies provide lots of information on their websites and um, I write about those tools frequently, and uh, the regulators provide very good tools. They're the regulator of the financial services industry called FINRA, F-I-N-R-A, has wonderful informational tools, investor education tools available on their website. And, and that would be a very good place to start if, if you have no investment experience at all. And these are the things that I, again, write about very frequently in my column and in my, in my books it's um, it, it's essential information 
something that it's essential yeah to to, to be to be educated to know before you buy or before you sell um you know being the educated consumer will protect one from unnecessary losses you know yes and and you have to be willing to accept the fact that the markets are they're not stable they're volatile by definition it's a supply and demand mechanism so you will have ups and downs it's just how it works but if you understand the understand how it works over time, it can be extremely eye-opening. And one of the things that I do, see, I wanted to put that information together in this particular book because as I was going through, as we were going through different market periods, I was writing columns on those market periods at that point in time. So the very first part of this book is all about the history that we lived through over the last 20 years. And... It, what it does is it, I, and I've updated those, uh, uh, updated those columns so that they're meaningful today. But just imagine if you're in the, if you're reading or responding to news today, and you have a column that was written at the height of the internet bubble or the height of the financial crisis, you can see what the news was of that day and say, whoa, you know, I, I, if I had reacted to that, I would have made a mistake. So that historical period that is that is in this um, that I've put in this book is there to help people kind of experience not through their own mistakes but through the through looking at, at what was going on historically during those periods of time so that they can avoid mistakes. The book we're talking about today is Retire Securely, Insights on Money Management from an award-winning financial columnist. My guest has been Julie Jason. She is the author of the book. She's also the author of the Retirement Survival Guide. To learn more, you can visit her at www.juliejason.com. On Twitter, that handle is at RetireSecureNow. And she loves receiving emails from her readers and listeners to shows like this. You can find her at readers at juliejason.com. Thank you, Julie. Best of luck with the book. It's uh, actually a very interesting read because they're different cases and you can uh, see yourself in in some of these writers who have uh, sent in questions. We have flown through another hour of purpose-driven media designed to inspire and delight you, our listeners, to create more joy in your lives and within your communities. Here are a few thoughts before we part. Happiness is not a destination. It cannot be bought, sold, or traded. Happiness will never invite you to the party. It simply comes down to a choice to show up each and every day in the world with passion, purpose, place, and meaning. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. This is Lisa Cypress-Kamen and my guests today, Danielle Town and Julie Jason, wishing you kind thoughts, kinder words, and the kindest of actions. Until next time, remember, happiness is an inside job. Happiness is your inside job. Go out and rock your day. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio with Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Join us each and every Wednesday for a brand new episode of consciously curated talk radio from the heart. Keep harvesting your own happiness anytime from the comfort of wherever you are with hundreds of free downloadable podcasts from our libraries on Toginet, iTunes, and SoundCloud. In a complicated world seemingly driven by nonstop negative news, Lisa's mission is to celebrate the upside of life and seek the silver lining of our challenges by transforming them into uplifting growth opportunities for all. To learn more about Lisa's global consulting services, please visit HarvestingHappiness.com. Spread more joy by liking us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen. Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio is produced in collaboration with Toginet Radio, KBUU, RadioMalibu.net, and is available on PRX, the public radio exchange.